This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. John chapter 19 and verse 16 to 37. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had prepared, uh, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, 
and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Thanks, Chris. Uh, My name is Pete Woodcock. I'm one of the elders of the church here. Uh, If you're visiting, (coughs) it's good to... Good to have you with us. If you could do us a favour, it'd be it would be helpful <clears throat> if you could uh, put a finger in these three Bible references. It'll help, and then I don't have to, you know, stop in the middle to get them. So Psalm twenty-two, which is in the middle of the Bibles, Book of Psalm. So I was trying to put a finger in there, or a pen, or or something. There's three references. So you're going to need three fingers <laughs> or three pens. Psalm 22, uh, Isaiah 53, put your finger in that, you can't do it because you've got a phone, yeah, um, Isaiah 53 and, I've, and, and Isaiah 61, so Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 61, yep, Isaiah 61, thank you, brilliant, let's pray, Father help us now as we look at this word and there's lots of stuff here that's familiar but help us to see it um, not necessarily new things but fresh things that move us to love you more we pray in Jesus name amen (coughs) now you know I would think that this year May May the 6th is is an important day May the 6th Westminster Abbey Charles is going to be crowned Charles III. I mean, he already is Charles III, but he's going to be crowned. It's Coronation Day. There's going to be a throne there. It's an amazing throne. It's a 14th century King Edward chair that he will sit on. Uh, He's going to have a crown placed on his head. I think they're still discussing what, uh, what gems are in that crown. I'm not sure. Something's going on like that. He's going to have a scepter. Uh, placed in one hand, uh, which uh, it represents power. He's going to have a golden orb, which represents the world placed in another hand. It, you know, we can expect, if you're going to watch it, um, British pomp and ceremony. There'll be a lot of that. The rich and famous will be there. Heads of states will be there. Heads of all kinds of world religions will be there. The BBC will be there with hundreds of cameras and famous presenters wheeled out uh, yet again uh, to talk in rather slow, hushed tones when they're describing the ceremony, but overexcited tones when they're out on the streets talking to, to the ordinary people or the public. That's what seems to happen. And so I think that's what we can expect uh, at the coronation. We've seen the Queen's funeral. It's going to be a similar sort of thing. In fact, there's a bloke at church today who's playing the trumpet at this event. And so, you know, we can expect these, these, uh, these sort of things going on. But imagine this scene. Imagine a slightly different scene. Let's go to the... Turn the telly on. Let's listen to the commentary. Here comes Charles and Camilla. And they're walking through the... Um, the great door of Westminster, Westminster Abbey. The audience are hushed. This truly is a historic day. <coughs> oh dear. Seems to be some uh, protesters causing a bit of a stir. Uh, I don't know whether you can hear them in the background. Someone's shouting out, he's not our king. Um, 
Anyway, Charles and Camilla stoically ignore the protests and are walking down the wonderful carpet. There's David Beckham there. Um, and they walk up to the, uh, the altar. Now, th this is strange because they seem to be standing a little long at the altar, maybe something to do with the protesters. Uh, uh, this isn't in our program. It could be one of the new things that Charles is bringing in because uh, he likes to bring in sort of a, a new idea that may be passed on to future generations. I'm not sure what is going on here, but he's standing there. Um, Fiona, wh what do you think? Um, oh, well, thank you, David. Uh, yeah, well, this is a uh, historic day, yes, of course. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I don't know, I haven't got this, I, we've not seen this in rehearsals or anything. So I, I guess it is a future event for future occasions that he's put... There's a man coming in, robed in black. Now, again, this is new. Uh, Fiona, have you got anything about that? No. Uh, well, and, and now... Charles is kneeling on the place before the altar. That's a, that's a very odd thing. Um, now, this man in with a black hood on is car carrying, a, I guess, a ceremonial axe. And um, he's put a block of wood before Charles. And Charles now is laying his head on the block of wood. And the ceremonial axe is being raised... Uh, I don't know whether there's going to be a trumpet sound. <laughs> uh, over to the advert. <laughs> We're BBC. Uh, Fiona, over to you. Um, he's executed on his coronation. Doesn't make any sense what whatsoever, does it? That would be just really weird, wouldn't it? And yet this is what happens in John's Gospel. This is the strange thing. We've had a build-up in John's Gospel to this thing called the hour. The time is coming. The hour is coming. And it's here, and it's anything but a coronation. At least it looks like that. It started in chapter 19 early on, where they were mockingly putting a crown of thorns on his head. It's a mock coronation going on here. And uh, they were laughing about that. But then come to verse 16, which we read. Finally, it says, Pilate, he's the Roman governor, handed him, that's Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. It's hardly a king, isn't it? He's handed over and he's taken charge of. And then just look down at the various sections that you've got. <coughs> And you'll see it's very unlike a coronation. And yet this is the time, this is the hour that we've been waiting for. In verses 17 to 22, you get this whole idea of a defeated, condemned king. He's sent to be executed. You've got uh, the humiliation of a king. And he's ignored in verses 23 and 24. The whole idea of gambling for his clothes. They don't, ev they don't even care about him, the soldiers. You've got this mourned king as he leaves the family. He realizes that uh, he's going to leave a family and he needs someone else to look after his mother. He's mourned. And then you've got this, right at the end really, a thirsty finished king. He says it's finished and he's thirsty. So it seems like a disaster. It's almost as stupid as the thing that I've just described to you. 
of Prince Charles's uh, or, or King Charles III's coronation. So let's have a look at these things. First of all, the first one, verses 17 to 22, is a defeated, condemned king. Do you see it? Look. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. He carried his own cross to the place called the skull and he was crucified. <coughs> That's not a coronation, is it? He's a condemned man walking to his death. He's a dead man walking and then he's crucified. And crucifixion is a shameful form of execution. Cicero, who was a Roman philosopher and statesman, says the word crucifixion should not be mentioned in polite Roman society. He said it was the cruelest and the most disgusting penalty devised for the execution of slaves, not for Roman citizens at all. The word excruciating means out of the cross, out of the crucifix, excruciating. That's what the word means. Now, we've been told that Jesus has already had a crown of thorns stuck on his head as a mock king. He's been whipped. He's had to carry the cross to the place of the skull. Uh, the word cross there is for the beam that he would have had to carry, which was probably between 75 and 100 pounds of weight on a back that's just been uh, smashed up and is described as a ploughed up field. He has to walk the streets to a mocking crowd, to a place called the skull, and he's crucified. Where's the miracle worker now then, eh? Where's, where's the one that John said at the beginning of this book that he is the Word, the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Where's the revealer of God now, eh? Where Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen Father God. Where, where's that then? Where's the one that raised the dead to life? What's going on here? He's defeated, it looks like. He's condemned and uh, he's put between other condemned men, just to make sure you know that he's a condemned one. There are two others condemned, and he's right bang in the middle. And then look at the mocking sign that goes up in three languages. Verse 19, Pilate had, noticed, uh, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's a laugh. That's a real laugh, that is. Nazareth. I mean, the, the, the phrase, the meme that went around about Ma Nazareth was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Ha ha, here's good, here's a king. This king comes out of Nazareth and look at him. Defeated and condemned. The Romans are the ones who make kings. The Romans are the ones that make the Caesars. And Pilate would be able to report to Caesar, look, I've put down an uprising. Someone from Nazareth was pretending to be the king of the Jews and I executed him because we're in power. And worse than that, if you know the Bible and if you were a Jew, you would understand that Deuteronomy says that cursed is anyone that's put on a tree and that's a cross that hangs on a piece of wood. Under the curse of God, this is a place of dishonor and shame. <clears throat> Secondly, he's a humiliating king. 
ignored. Look at verses 23 to 24. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Now we hear more about the undergarment than a human being that's hanging on a cross. They're more interested in the undergarment. Yeah, look at it. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. There's a lot of words there about an undergarment. And they're gambling for his clothes. I mean, these soldiers saw no king to be obeyed, no king to be even guarded. They despised him. They rejected him. They rejected any human dignity. They gave him no dignity whatsoever. They wouldn't even look at him in the face because they were looking at the undergarment. This was a, not a fellow human being. They had low, self, uh, low esteem on him. He's no better than a worm wriggling on a hook. And it's a picture of just utter indifference, isn't it? They're not hostile. They're just indifferent. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Thirdly, look, he's a mourned king that leaves his family. Verse 25 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, Mary and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son and to the disciple, that's John, who's the writer here, uh, there is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. It's a sad, dying realization. Oh, my goodness, I forgot to have someone looking after my mother because I've died before my mother died. And I've not sorted out any inheritance. And this, There's no kingly inheritance to be left here. Oh, my goodness, I better do something. I'm in my dying throes. Oh, will you look after mum? Fourthly, look, is a thirsty, finished king, verses 28 to 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He's thirsty. I mean, the agony of thirst is amazing. And remember, he hasn't had a drink since the Last Supper. That's the last time we knew that he had a drink. And between then and this scene, he'd sweat great drops of blood in the garden, so he'd be thirsty. He'd been through many trials, arrested and beaten up. He'd been taken from place to place, jeered, been whipped, had to carry a cross, nailed on a cross. He's gasping, man. He's gasping. He's thirsty. I thirst. Of course you thirst. Six hours on a cross. After all that, I thirst. We're made of 60% water. We die of uh, dehydration before we die of starvation. He's thirsty. He's thirsty. And if you ever read about anyone <coughs> who dies of thirst, it's horrific. The tongue swells up so that you, uh, you can't swallow. It becomes massive in the mouth. 
the, uh, the, the throat is on fire, and every nerve of your being is crying out, I thirst, I thirst. And then Jesus says, it's finished. And he bows his head and gave up his spirit. It's all over. It's finished. A finished king, dried up king, 15 minutes of fame, he's done his miracles, and that's the end of it. That's how it reads. It's just like the picture I tried to show you about King Charles's coronation. What is the point of that? It's a tragedy. A defeated, condemned, humiliated king leaving his family in thirsty death. His 15 minutes of fame are all over. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. What a joke. What a joke. But, and this is the great but, isn't it? But, there's a very different way of looking at this hour. There's a very different way of looking at this event. John, we're told, in the next chapter, chapter 20, wrote this book so that you, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That word Christ really means Messiah, it's the same word. It means God's king. So John is writing this book and he writes this line after that event that we've just seen. And he says that I've written this book that you may believe that he is God's king. Wow. Well, you haven't done a very good job here. The son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's what John says, I've written this book. So we need to have a little look again at this to see what's going on here. We maybe need the eyes of faith to see what's going on here and see whether this is really a coronation that has some different way of looking at it. So back to verse 16 then. Look at it. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Now, do you remember last week, Geraint was telling us about Pilate, and verse 11 seemed to be quite a significant verse in chapter 19. And verse 11, we have Jesus answering Pilate, and it says, Jesus answered, this is to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Verse 16, finally Pilate handed him over. But verse 11, you'd had no power unless it's given from above. So who gave Jesus over to be crucified? Who did that? Who gave Jesus over to be crucified? Geraint was trying to get us to think last week, who's the enemy? Who's the baddie here? Who, who, who pushed Jesus to the cross? Who did it? Who did that? God. God's the answer. God gave him over. God the Father. A very famous verse in John's Gospel. Perhaps the most famous verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's the one who gave. He gave his one and only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's God that it is behind Pilate giving Jesus over. 
And even in this evil realm of darkness that we've just seen, everything, did you notice, is under the sovereign control of the Father. How many times does it say, so the scriptures were fulfilled, so the scriptures were fulfilled? One of the troubles with preaching this chapter is that there is so much not just very, you know, written so the scriptures would be fulfilled and you can look that scripture up. There is scripture fulfilled all over the place. That's why I have to get you to turn to three major passages in the Bible, in the Old Testament. God is giving his son. That's what's going on here. And this is God's plan. This is the coronation of Jesus, the Messiah. It's extraordinary. It's very different than you would think, isn't it? And why is he giving him over? Because the kingdom that Jesus is going to set up is bigger than life and death. The kingdom that Jesus is going to set up is heaven itself, and it destroys sin. The kingdom Jesus is coming into, the kingdom Prince, uh, uh, I keep calling him Prince Charles, because we've had years of calling him that. The, the kingdom that Charles is coming into is a fading kingdom. It'll be less than even his mother uh, ruled over. But the kingdom Jesus is coming into is one that will beat death, deal with sin, and bring heaven for people that follow him. This is a kingdom of life and resurrection. That's what's going on here. And so God gives him over. So let's go over those points again. Just to make sure we've got them. First point, a defeated and condemned king. No. A king condemned in our place. That's a better sentence. Look at verses 17 to 22. Just flash down. Verse 17. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, in which, uh, in, uh, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. This is a king going to be condemned for us. It's a king going into battle. This is a king doing what real old kings used to do, being at the front of the battle and going to die first for the people. This isn't some little ceremony in Westminster Abbey. This is the king going into battle and going to be condemned for us. This is the Lord of life carrying a cross, a cross made out of a piece of wood from a tree that he created. This is the Lord of life going to a cross to be nailed on the tree that he created by nails that were, came out of the earth that he created the iron and put it into the earth. This is one going in to battle on our behalf. Now let's look at the prophecies. Turn to Isaiah 53. You've got it there. You have your finger in it. It should come out very easily. Not your finger. Isaiah 53. Look at verse 3. Listen. I'm going to read it slowly. He was despised and rejected by mankind, 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life, uh, 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 and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring, and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will be. Do you hear that? He was condemned for us. We're the sinners. We're the ones who should be crushed. You should be on a cross with nails through your hands. You should have the wrath of God upon you. You should have people ignoring you as you've ignored God. You should have God ignoring you and gambling for your clothes because you're nothing. You're the sinner. You're the one who's crossed. But here's a king that even Pilate said was innocent four times. We saw that last week. Here's the innocent one being condemned for the guilty. That is the Christian message and it's outstanding. What a king condemned in my place he stood. Do you see it? A defeated, condemned king? No. A king condemned in my place. And what a king it is. He takes my punishment. And though it says in the sign above him, the king of the Jews, he's the king of the Jews in the sense that he's the king of all of the promises that were made to the Jewish people in the Bible. But he's the king of the Jews for the whole world. That's why, verse 20, it says, many of the Jews read the sign uh, uh, for the place where Jesus was crucified uh, was near the city. The sign was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and Greek. King of the Jews, written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Aramaic is the religious language, the language of religion in that place. Latin is the place of global language of government. And Greece, Greek, is the language of culture and education. He's coronated 
with a sign above his head, King of the Jews for the whole world. The whole world. This is Coronation Day. It's an amazing thing. That's him receiving his scepter and his golden orb. Pilate had written exactly what God had wanted. What a king. Secondly, a humiliated king ignored. Remember, they were gambling for his clothes. No, no. It's rather a, a king that humbled himself for us. He's humiliated, yes, but he humbled himself for us. So clothing in the Bible is a big deal. There's a a lot about clothing in the Bible. Do a whole talk on clothing in the Bible. But it largely signifies covering up shame. That's what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they broke the laws of God, they were shameful people and God covered them up with animal skin. Something had to die to cover them up. There's a picture there already. So nakedness and shame go together in the Bible. If, if, if you, you wouldn't come here naked, would you? Uh, it's slightly shameful, isn't it? If you're naked, you feel very exposed, don't you? Um, so nakedness and shame go together. In Hebrews chapter 12, talking about the cross, the writer in the Bible talking about the cross, says that Jesus didn't turn from the shame. He was stripped and humiliated. He didn't turn from the shame. In John chapter 13, you're going to go back a few chapters, it says that Jesus removed his clothes and washed the disciples' feet. The job of a slave. He didn't mind being a servant, a slave, even though it was shameful. He was prepared to take on shame to cleanse his followers. What a king. He humbled himself on the cross. What a king. Turn to Isaiah 61, verse 7. This is about us. Isaiah 61, verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace... You will rejoice in your inheritance. You've got an inheritance. And you will inherit a double portion in your hand and everlasting joy will be yours. Instead of your shame, you've been given this inheritance and it's like a double inheritance. It's going to bring joy. But look at verse 10. Look. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has, what's the word? Clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. It's an extraordinary picture. And you have that picture throughout the Bible. In Ezekiel 16, There's this abortion that's just left on the side of the road, dying, kicking in its own blood. And the king comes along and it says, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. And then makes this abortion a queen and beautiful and cleanses her. It's the picture of the Bible. 
Jesus goes naked to give us his righteousness. And you don't have to gamble for it. He'll give it to us. He gives us a robe of righteousness. Why? Because he took his off. He took the sins so that you could have a double inheritance of joy. And the soldiers, what are they doing? They're just fulfilling, we're told. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots. They didn't know what they were doing. They were ignoring him. But this one who's now resurrected is going to come back. We'll hear that next week, I think. Uh, He's going to come back and every knee will bow. They won't ignore him then. They'll be longing to be covered in the robe of righteousness. It's a wonderful picture. What a king. huh? What a coronation. The third thing, a mourned king leaves his family. No. Rather, a, a new family are brought to life. So it's really interesting that Jesus on the cross, and you've got that little thing about his family. He's thinking of family. Why is he thinking about family? Because that's why he's on the cross, to redeem a family for himself. Go to Psalm 22 this time. Look what's going on here. You'll see the public spectacle of the cross. Verse 6, Psalm 22. This is Jesus but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And then look, look at verse 14. Uh, we're told that he's, he's, he's mangled, but his, you could, he can count his bones. And then verse 17, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat at me. Then verse 16, go to that. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Yeah? Why? Why is he going through this? Well, look at the end of Psalm 22. Verse 22 of Psalm 22. I will declare your name. That's God's name. This is Jesus declaring God's name to what? My people, in the assembly I will praise you. Look at verse 25. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vow. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the Families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. He's made a new family. That's what he's doing on the cross. He's buying and redeeming a family on the cross that he will present to the Father. Yeah? What a coronation day. King Charles doesn't really nothing for me to be quite honest with you. Except we'll have a few trees around Chessington, I suppose. But other than that, that's about it. I love Matthew Henry. He's an old um, commentator, an old Puritan commentator from a long, long time ago. 
And he's, uh, he goes on to talk about the blood and the water coming out of the side. Jesus had died on the cross. No bones are broken, so they're not going to break his bones. And they shove a spear in. We read it. Um, and blood and water came out indicating death. But that it was a spear in his side. And, and only as a Puritan can, goes w- we, or Spurgeon, can go back to uh, the Genesis bit when, when uh, uh, Eve was created out of the side of man. And this is what he says. When Christ, the second Adam, was fallen into a deep sleep, died upon the cross, then was his side opened, and out of it was his church taken, which he, es- it, it, which he espoused to himself. Wonderful. Brilliant. On the cross, he was making a people. By his death, he makes a resurrection people. Fourth thing. A thirsty and finished king? No. Rather a victorious king who finished the work for us. Again, this is predicted. If you just have a look at Psalm 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water. He said, I am thirsty. Remember, these were written thousands of years before the cross of Christ. These are prophecies. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. None were broken. My heart was turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potter. Dry bit of pottery that's been broken and left in the sun. No water in it at all. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You laid me in the dust of death. I thirst, says Jesus. And yet if you go through John's gospel, we've seen that he's constantly giving water to people. In chapter 2, he turns water into wine to make the party go well. In chapter 4, he gives the water of life to a woman. In chapter 6, he feeds the hungry and says, if you drink of me, you won't go thirsty. In chapter 7, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. He's always on about water that he gives, the water of life. And yet here on the cross, towards the end, the unthinkable happens. The one who is the source of the water of life says, I thirst. Why? Because he spent for us. He's all dried up for us. He's given his life for us. It's an amazing picture of substitution. You drink, he goes thirsty. It's a vivid picture for you to understand the excruciating suffering that he goes through. What a king! What a king, isn't it? And then he says, It is finished. What is finished? It's a specific word. Tetelestai is the word. It is finished. And you can do a whole sermon on that. I have got one at home, but I decided not to do it. It is finished. I've got one on I thirst as well. And I've got one on the other. But anyway, so I thought I'd write a new one. It is finished. It is accomplished. All the prophecies of God now fulfilled in him. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. I've completed all my sufferings. It is finished. The goal of my incarnation has come to an end. It is finished. My people are atoned for. It is finished. I'm making a people for myself. It is finished. It's the end of sin. It is finished. All the law's requirements have been dealt with. It is finished. Satan's power is over. I rule. I'm on the throne. It's finished. The work of salvation is done. Here I am on the throne. 
And it's a cross. And it takes faith to see it. Otherwise, you think I'm defeated. You will not understand it. You'll talk about how can a prophet be hanging on a cross like that. You won't get it until faith comes into you. And you see that it was the Father God giving over his Son to save us, to be condemned for us, to be thirsty for us. What a king. What a saviour. What a substitute. What a coronation. Let's pray.